All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's webinar. It is a panel discussion. It is uh, the fourth panel discussion in the Root Cause Racism series. It's been a great collaboration with Deandra Wardell. The focus today is on the colors of love. And Deandra is going to be uh, the primary host and moderator uh, for the session here today. And we're joined uh, by six great panelists. And Deandra is going to introduce each of them um, before we go around and have discussion with them. Thank you, Mark Graben, and thank you to Connexus for hosting this webinar. And I want to start out by introducing our panelists. So, um, and I will introduce everyone in the order in which they will be speaking today. So Scott Bogan, Scott is from Atlanta, Georgia. He is an HR professional with more than 20 years of experience in the field, including recruiting, training, and management. And you know, in his spare time, he's an author. He wrote an e-reader called Help Wanted, a guide to getting the job you want from interviewing hundreds of candidates. He, he recognized that um, some young people just were not ready to be ready for the workforce. They were not quite prepared. And so he wrote this, you know, help wanted guide as a way to fill in some of those missing gaps. And if you're wondering how to order that, um, when you read his blog on the rootcauseracism.com website, there is a link within his bio where it takes you right to ordering that book. So thank you for joining us today, Scott. We also have Paul Critchley, from Ellington, Connecticut. Paul is a recognized thought leader. Um, he is, his topics and his specialty are about employee engagement and continuous improvement. Um, his consulting and what he does with his business, he's helped businesses all around the world achieve really great levels of success. Um, he's also a keynote speaker and he is the host for the New England Lean podcast. And that's a weekly show featuring management thought leaders, uh, management thought leaders, TED speakers, world-renowned authors, university professors, you name it. And it's a, it's a really great podcast. So um, follow Paul, follow the New England Lean podcast. So thank you for joining us. We also have Alexis Bertrand, Bertrand, I'll also be calling him Alex. He's from Queens, New York. He is a professional educator, extraordinaire, content creator. Um, he is, um, he's been, he's had a various number of roles in the field of education as a mathematics teacher. Uh, he's been a vice principal. And most recently, he's been helping to redesign math curriculum and teaching through the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusive practices really important in our, our school systems. And he's also the co-founder of HeroCon. Okay, so welcome, Alex. We also have Carla Parker, uh, my dear friend from across the pond. She hails from Essex, which is in London, part of UK. She is the UK representation, part of the UK representation for this blog series. Uh, Carla is the head of business improvement within the emergency and elective care improvement team at NHS England and NHS Improvement. And she has spent most of her career um, working in operations um, in various roles in the private and public sector. Um, and the other thing, Carla is, um, she has her own blog. So follow her to, to keep up with some of her, her great writings that she's doing. So Carla, we're so glad to have you. And Madison Mobley from Boston, Massachusetts, um, a new friend. She is 
just, she's out here doing it. So her journey includes, um, she spent time at EMC Corporation, Dell EMC, Procter & Gamble. She's had numerous global, global leadership positions in sales, management, HR strategies. And currently she is an enterprise sales director at Fair Market. And that's a venture back, backed procurement procurement, ah, why can't I talk today? Procurement tech startup. So Madison, it is a joy to have you with us. And then last but not least, Jeff Welch from Atlanta, Georgia. Jeff is an accomplished corporate trainer. He's a leader. He's a coach. He's a public speaker. He has over 20 years of experience in the learning and development space. Um, he is also the president and owner of JW Training Events. And that is a consulting company that leads, um, you know, facilitated leader instructed training. He has a number of courses that speak to professional development and even some, you know, train the trainer information. And then he has also um, has, has started his journey on learning more about lean. So Jeff is a lean practitioner in training, and I'm really excited to have everyone with us today. Okay, so want to get right into it. Um, a question that everyone has asked, Deandra, what is, you know, why are, why is the root cause racism doing this particular blog series? And although I talked about it in my opening blog, the colors and countermeasures of love, there was one quote that really motivated the series. And um, I don't know the source, but the quote reads this, when you've been through a struggle that hurt you for such a long time, I think you have the endless energy to give to others. And as a black full-figured woman, and I've been full-figured all of my life, um, I'm just more, and I've, I've been bullied, and there's a number of things that I have experienced. I'm just really sensitive about um, what other people endure. Um, and I've always been outspoken. My parents said I was born talking. And so I've, I've always been someone who speaks up for when I see things that are unjust and I see people who are untreated fairly, treated unfairly. And so, of course, with all of the, the heightened civil unrest last year, um, there was another layer of, of bias and discrimination I noticed. And that was um, what members of the LGBTQ plus community endure. And I was like, time out for this nonsense. I want to do a blog series and this is what we're doing. And so although, um, you know, whatever minority groups I identify with, um, I learned recently, as a matter of fact, it was October of last year, a good friend of mine, Stephanie Hill, um, was a part of the United Way of Central Iowa. Last October, they did this 21-day equity challenge. And one of the topics they talked about were the five types of privilege. And there are three types of privilege I have. Um, socioeconomic privilege, because I'm a college graduate. I have Christian privilege. My holidays are, are recognized on calendars. Um, you know, pol most politicians are of the Christian faith. And then I have heterosexual privilege. I never have to worry about telling my family who I love or, or bring someone home for a holiday for a dinner. So I wanted to use my privilege and my voice to speak for those uh, who don't have, you know, a voice or that same type of privilege. And so that's what we're doing this series. And so with that being said, um, 
you know, I, I want to kind of, to, before everyone starts talking about their blogs, I want to kind of have like a short Oprah Winfrey moment and do a, an interview with Scott. Uh, I was recently introduced to Scott and he and I, um, just some of the stories that he shared with me just really, just, just really resonated with the purpose of this blog series. And there were a number of things he could have talked about. Scott could have written an entire series for this week, but I wanted him to be I wanted him to write the opening blog. And so, Scott, you know, I'm curious as to why, how it is that you landed on the topic of bias for your opening blog. Um, I think because bias is the thing, the, the, the common thread that ties all of this together. And for me, like, I could have spoken about the racism that I've experienced firsthand or... Um, things that I experienced in my childhood all the way through my adult years, as well as the discrimination I've experienced or um, homophobia that I've experienced. But I don't know that that would resonate with everyone. And I, my goal was for my blog to kind of resonate with everyone, no matter your walk of life. Um, and so I thought about um, what I was going to write about or how I was going to approach it. And the thing that I landed on was bias because I, I have my own internal biases that I think about, or um, just because I'm a cerebral introspective person at nature um, or just generally. Um, and I'm constantly thinking probably to my detriment at times. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jeff's nodding his head because he knows me personally. So, um, <laughs> Uh, so I just kind of landed on that. And I, I think about in my the conversations that I have in my head, how I am navigating situations and how I want to present myself and how I want to act and how I want to be received and how I want to respond. And I think that like one of the things that I said in my blog was that it starts with awareness mm -hmm. and you can't be you can't move the needle if you're not honest with yourself about yourself. So, you know, I think that the conversation has to start there. I agree. I agree. And so um, thank you, Mark, for posting a link to Scott's blog. Um, so if you have not yet read it, and even if you have already read it, I've read it now at least 16 times. And there's, <laughs> I, I'm serious, and there's more good information that I glean um, as I do my own self-reflection and own soul searching as a result of reading your blog. So it is, so thank you. No, thank you. Um, I appreciate the opportunity and the platform. I, I'm really grateful. Thank you. My pleasure. Okay. So next we will have Paul Critchley and Paul, you know, share some of the takeaways from a, a lean perspective, what you wrote about and, you know, anything else you picked up in some of the other blogs during the week that also spoke to lean. Sure. Thank you, DeAndra. Um, so first, I would just want to say thanks, you know, Mark and the Kinexus team for putting this together. And to my fellow planalists, it was an honor to be a part of this with you. Um, you know, I come at this from a little bit different perspective. And when um, when I was writing my blog, I thought, you know, how can I put my stamp on this whole thing? You know, because I am a I'm a white middle aged man. I'm cisgender, married, two kids. I'm you know somewhat, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, I guess, stereotypical. Um, so I thought, well, what can I say, you know, about being an ally coming from my perspective? So I thought, well, what is it, what is it that I know about? Well, I'm a lean practitioner and I have been for a long time. So I thought, well, maybe I'll put it in those terms. 
So when I think about it that way, um, I really liken it back to respect for people. So for the non-lean practitioners who may be joining us, when you if you picture a house of lean that is held up with two columns, on one side we have continuous improvement, which is kind of tools focused. And the other column literally is, is called respect for people. Now, when I think about it from that perspective, and again, from a, uh, coming at it from lean, we talk a lot about, you know, we have to make sure we have engagement with everybody, uh, investment, not buy-in, but investment from everybody. And we talk a lot about making sure top management is supportive uh, because the people on the floor may or may not feel like they can speak up, like maybe they don't have a voice. Um, so I started to think about it, you know, this topic in that way, and it really became more clear to me to think, well, you know what, how does that relate to race or gender or sexual orientation or, you know, privilege, all of these things, you know, so it really gets um, very interesting. So I, when I wrote the blog post on how to be a better ally, I try to focus on, you know, what can we do? And um, Amy Gowder, who couldn't be here with us today, but she also wrote a blog post. She uh, mimicked a lot of what we said, and we didn't plan it that way. But she had a great quote um, in hers, experiences shape beliefs and belief sh beliefs shape action. And that's true, especially with lean. You know, if we're talking about, you know, if I go out on a shop floor and we're trying to improve a process, you know, the people who do the work every day know the best. They literally are the experts. So it's up to me as a lean practitioner. It's up to the management of that organization to ask questions and go see them, build a relationship that's based upon respect and trust. And then you have a psychologically safe environment where people will feel more engaged and say, you know what? you know, maybe DeAndre really does want to hear about this. So I'm going to say something. But if you don't do those things, those people may or may not feel like they can bring those things up. And it's true in this topic as well. We have to take those steps from a respect for people perspective to say, hey, Jeff, how are you today? What's going on? You know, and it builds, again, it builds a relationship based on trust and respect that says, okay, Jeff, I, you know me, I know you, you know, I really want to hear these things. Let's bring these out. Let's talk about them. Because if we don't, uh, you know, I, I can't help fix a problem. You know, one of the things I used to say as a manager is I can't help fix a problem if I don't know about that problem, but it's also my responsibility as a manager in this scenario to say, I want to know about those things and ask about those. Cause it may take, it may not be you know, the first time, second time, fifth time, right? Again, it's all, it's got to come back to respect for people and people have to know that it's a two-way street. So that was kind of it in a, I guess, in a nutshell. Okay. That, that was a, a great synopsis of, of both your blog and Amy's and a great tie-in to lean. And, um, you know, we do have a question for you, Paul. Um, and, you know, most of the participants, who who are a part of this blog series are in different levels on the lean journey. And I would venture to say the same is the case for those who are watching the webinar today. And so the question is, how can I use lean methods to become a better ally? The two, you know, seem seem kind of far apart. And can you just give a little more clarification on that? You know, like a yeah. minute or two? Sure. Um, 
you know, we talk in lean, we use this term called you go to the Gemba. And that's a Japanese word and loosely translated, it means go see. So in other words, get out of your office and go out to wherever, you know, the shop floor, your, where, you know, your bank, wherever you work and go and go see for yourself and see what's going on. Um, when it comes to being an ally, same rules apply. Go see for yourself. You know, when I talked about the people who do the work know best, the people who deal with discrimination know best. They know what it feels like. I can't say that I've ever been discriminated against. Not that I know of. Um, you know, in the blog post I mentioned as a, you know, middle-aged white guy, um, you know, I get to be my authentic self. If, if you know me, you know, I'm, you know, I like to have fun and I kind of mess around and, you know, when there's work to be done, I'll do that. But, but I get to do that. And quite frankly, I don't honestly think twice about it a lot of times, but that's part of my privilege is I can just go do that. And it's kind of like, yeah, take it or leave it. Not everybody has that power. And not everybody has that privilege. So you really have to go see for yourself. And you have to ask a lot of questions because everybody's reality is different. You know, that doesn't mean that, you know, all of us, we're all unique individuals. We all have, as Amy said, experiences shape beliefs and beliefs shape action. So my beliefs are different than everybody that you're looking at on your screen right now. And I can't just assume that everybody's, it's, you know, we might work at the same place, but our experiences could be completely different. Thank you, Paul. And and you you hit the nail on the head. You know, go to Gemba, and Gemba means the actual place. And you know, don't make any assumptions. If you want to be an ally, talk to those people. Your Gemba is going to talk to those people who are experiencing, you know, whatever discrimination it is, and and listen and learn. Just like when we go to Gemba in the workplace, we don't go in with our preconceived notions. We're going in to learn and discover and hear things from that person's perspective. Right. So thank you for that. Sure. Do I have another minute? Um, you have about 30 seconds. All right, I'll be quick. Okay. So for lean practitioners, think of it this way too. Um, every value stream map event I've ever led, every single time, at some point, somebody says, man, I never realized that you had to deal with this crummy process or you had this form to fill out or this report or what, mm -hmm. right? I never realized. Think about that when it comes to being an ally. I never realized what it was like to deal with this. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to know that unless you go ask. That's perfect, Paul. Thank you. Thank and you. so as a part of going to ask and learning more, uh, we'll turn it over to Alex and talk about, um, you know, the points that he shared from the perspective of, of an educator. Thank you so much, DeAndre. Thank you so much, Mark. Hi, everybody. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, this is my first webinar, I guess. Uh, um, and I'm, I'm still a little amped up because I did teach a, a class this morning. Um, so just, just to kind of like jump right into it, my, my submission, my effort, if you will, um, was around like the impact of one's educational journey. Um, and as a teacher, as a trainer, as a facilitator, if you are teaching somebody how to do how to do something, you are impacting their educational journey. Uh, so to kind of drive my point home, I'll um, kind of tell you a little bit about mine, and it's going to be reductive on, on purpose. So I've been teaching for 19 years, and I absolutely love it. 
Um, as Deandra said, I spent some time in admin. I've been a vice principal. I've been a dean of all of it. And there's nothing like being in the classroom, and which is why I intentionally went back because I want to impact uh, educational journeys uh, the way many of my beloved teachers did me. Um, it, was, it wasn't until the fourth grade that I experienced my first black teacher. And it would be eight years later when I was a senior in high school that I would have my next. And both of them were black women. And I've gone through undergrad and I've gone through graduate school and that was it. I have yet to have a black male teacher. <laughs> Forget about being one that identifies as queer or anything else. And I wonder what that would have, how that would have changed my educational journey. Had I seen that, had I seen more of myself in and out of these beautiful schools, in and out of these classrooms and places of learning that I was in, I learned about, to, to keep it moving, I learned about Dr. Martin Luther King when I was five, but it would be 20 something years, about 20 years before I learned who Bayard Rustin was. It would be 25 years before, 20, there you go, 25 years because I was 30, it'd be 25 years before I learned that he lived as an openly gay man. It would be 25 years before I learned that he has a beautiful tenor voice. I've been singing my whole life and I never knew this man existed. How different I would have been. There is not a year that goes by that my students, parent, or someone to tell me, thank you. You are my, my sons, my daughters, first black teacher. I, or I wanted my kid to have you because, right, I wanted them to have this experience. This is 2021. Why is this still happening? Again, I'm thinking about the impact we have. And so the whole blog is about, if I can't, then what do I need to bring into the space? What voice, what narrative, what character is unheard? And how can I bring voice to that? Now, doing that, y'all, can be scary. It can be risky. It can be a little messy. And it's supposed to be. We cannot, we cannot ask children, we cannot ask the people under our charge to go forth unafraid, to be bold when we are not doing that. I wonder, think about it, right? And I'll, I'll stop here. Like, think about it. The people that you serve, when you look at their faces, whatever you're teaching them, whatever you're sharing with them, can they see themselves in it? Are they inspired by it? And if they can't, there's your work. There's your charge. That's where you go. So it is a risk, but it's such a risk worth taking. Now, maybe when I decide to go back to school, hopefully I will see someone in front of me lecturing me that looks like me. And I just want you to think the next time that you're in front of someone and you're working with them and you're helping them, are they being heard? Are they being seen just as you would want? Thank you. So, Alex, I, I have a question for you um, because I, I absolutely love the title of your blog, The Risky Business of Teaching. And I know that you have an engineering background, so I, I know you look at measurements and metrics and things like that. So what are some of the indicators you use that let you know you've, you're, you've done a great job, that you're doing what you need to do in terms of creating this inclusive space for your students? Uh, thank you. That's a great question. And I think 
for anyone, and I think this could apply to any kind of field, the metrics that I use are not the metric that you might be measured by uh, in your place of employment. So for me, if it's about a test score, uh, if it's about a kid being successful, uh, getting an A on the test, that's not the metric. The metric is when you hear the student who didn't get the A, they got maybe that B minus, and they're so proud of themselves. That's the metric. The metric is when they don't even need me anymore. It's like, I actually, I got this. It's when they can tell me, you know what? I appreciate you doing this, but can you do it this way? How can I instruct them and how can I push them in a way that creates this environment that they feel okay, letting me know that I might be off? You know, it's okay to manage up, but if we never make it okay to manage up, we can't assume that we're always doing a good job. So those are like the three metrics that I take. What kind of feedback am I getting? What kind of feedback am I receiving? And is it earnest? Yeah, there you go. Okay. And I think that transcends beyond the classroom into, you know, business and to healthcare, no matter where we are. So, Alex, thank you so much for, for being a part of this series. You know you hold a special place in my heart, and um, your blog was so powerful. And again, if you have not read his blog, and even if you have, read it again. So, you know, as a segue, I just mentioned healthcare. Carla, you know, I'd like for you to come on and, and share about the perilous indifference, and especially from, you know, you, you really gave an interesting perspective from a, a UK voice or an English voice. So if you would share with us some takeaways from your blog. Thank you, Deandra, and uh, thank you to everyone as well. I'm honoured to be on this panel, my first panel too, Alex, and what a person to follow, um, having been in education myself. Um, so my article really is about um, healthcare and how we can, how do we improve healthcare? How do we have better outcomes for all of our people? And I start my article talking about my experience when I had my daughter. Um, and, you know, it was quite traumatic my first and only child, but, you know, there was a throwaway comment. It really sparked something in my mind, which made me think about, you know, how do we, um, you know, how does bias seep in to the healthcare service? You know, I'm passionate about being in the, in the National Health Service and we have a fantastic service in the UK. So, you know, not to disregard all of the staff who put a lot of effort in, but actually, you know, I'm in a heterosexual relationship and I have friends who are not, who are in same-sex relationships. You know, what if one of them are given birth? Do they assume that you as a same-sex partner can't be in that birthing room or, you know, and then, then I started to think about, well, hold on. What about if you're also from an ethnic minority? And um, in my in my article, I try to outline some of the research that I've done into the barriers that already face ethnic minorities, particularly in the UK, in accessing healthcare. And that seeps into the socioeconomic, you know, construct that we live within. It doesn't. It's not just about healthcare. It's about the the environment we live in. It's 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 the jobs that we apply for. So it seeps into a wide range. Um, and then I look further to think about actually, what about either intersectionality? We you know what data do we have around intersectionality? So if you are black and you're or from the LGBTQ plus community, you know how does that affect you and your access to healthcare? Um, I was I was harrowed to think about to see the statistics about the number of people from Black LGBT community who don't even get responded to regarding their 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 healthcare requirements, um, and you know thinking about the the dynamic of perhaps shielding your 
sexual choices with your ethnic community as well as that within your LGBT community. So some of the data that I found was that people from black LGBT community hide, they feel that they can't show their ethnicity in their own LGBT community. And if they're in their ethnic community, they can't show the LGBT part of their, their you know, part of their, their, their persona. That's who they are. Um, and so I go on to talk about, you know, the, the just those start statistics and how actually, you know, how do we as a healthcare service try to embrace and change the way that we provide services to to that group of people? Um, for me, the journey is going to be long and it's painful. And I think if you think about that from any from any of the protected characteristics, then you know that that's the same. However, I think that we have to take responsibility about it, uh, for the way we think, the way we speak, the way we treat others, the assumptions we make. Um, I recently gave blood, so I give blood because I've got a rare blood type, and it's a very it's a very basic form. You know, the form is not specific in any way. But actually, if I thought about filling in that form, and I was from the Black LGBT community, would I tick all those boxes? And would my blood then be received? You know, I've, I've got a rare blood type, which means that for certain illnesses, they have very little supply of that in the UK. So I, I feel obliged to make sure that I supply that, you know, within my own health. But actually, there are questions on that standard form. So one form that is given to, you know, millions of people and it may already exclude just because you have to tick a box that may make you identify yourself. Um, and, and, and therefore, the bias, the bias is therefore implicit. So for me, in terms of the healthcare service and the way in which we provide it to the LGBT community, we have to think about what are our values and what are our processes? How do we define and how do we redefine our culture? And how do we serve our black LGBT community to reframe the misconception of seeing them as at risk um, and look at them as at promise for a future of good health and well-being that's anchored in their own resilience and supported by our abilities as staff, providers and institutions to provide services to contribute to their resilience. Okay. You know, Carla, you, you touched on something in your blog. You mentioned it um, just a second ago about how this, this journey ahead of us, it, it's, it's, diff, it's going to be trying. It's, it's a lot of work mm. to do. And in a minute, can you, can you just take like, a, like I said, 60 seconds and, and give one recommendation as to something healthcare services can do to improve the care that's provided to patients who are members of the LGBTQ plus community? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, it's it's always going to be education. It's about understanding and education. So um, there was a there was a piece of work that was there was a well, there's actually a handbook that was written by a third year medical student in the UK called Maloma Kwande. He wrote a book called um, Minding the Gap for Black and Brown Skin. And this is about medical training. Okay, so his his article, his book is all about how do you how do you assess um, healthcare if you don't have white skin, because all medical training is based on white skin. So if you want to look at meningitis and you put a glass against the skin, all of those sorts of things. And for me, if you're going to talk, think about the LGBT plus community, how do we transform our services to ensure that we are providing services that are more relevant for those from that community? So if you are in that community, are there particular illnesses or signs and symptoms that we should be looking at. If you if you are a GP, a general practitioner, and somebody comes in and they have 
have symptoms of something, you know, should you be testing them for things that perhaps they might be more prevalent to for their, you know, in their in their life? Um, there are some very standardised ways in which we practice medicine, and I think that we could we could actually turn that upside down and turn it onto its head rather than kind of saying, well, at 40 you have a health check, you know, what things are, you know, and you're female, so therefore you should be checking for menopause. You know, you know, what assumptions do we make based on? based on some really very stereotypical um, programs rather than thinking about that individual as a patient and thinking about them and their healthcare needs. Okay. And you know, it's, it's those assumptions. And with those assumptions, we should never be so certain. We should do a deeper dive. We should ask the question. We should be curious. And then that's the segue to Madison. Um, you know, so thank you so much, Carla, uh, for giving us so much to think about of, of what we can do um, from a healthcare perspective to support people in the LGBTQ plus community. So Madison, your blog was so, you know, the whole time I was reading, I was like, yes, say that again, very spirited. So tell us, why is it that we should not be so certain? Yeah, ha happy to do it, DeAndre, happy to be here. Thank you so much for the opportunity. In five minutes or less, here's the don't be so certain rundown. So I, I started with the bottom line, which is, Sex, gender, expression, some might call it presentation and orientation are all um, not synonymous, right? Like not even close. Uh, I then broke it down to, for those that are still kind of working through terms that sex is your assignment at birth, whether that be male or female, right? Or, or a possession of both. Gender is your self-designation. Express your behavior. Um, your appearance, your mannerisms, whether they be classified as masculine, air quote, or, or feminine. And orientation is who you are romantically attracted to, whether that be men, women, none of the above, all of the above, the spaces in between. And further, no single permutation, right, of all of the above looks a particular way for sure. And that is factual. So because that's factual, why so often do we find ourselves talking and thinking and acting like it's not? Um, I posed a few questions, one being, you know, are we that much in a hurry? Do we think we're going to run into each other next week in the street? Um, last time I checked, you know, we're furthest from gods. And so I think sometimes when getting to know people, there's an arrogance that we have in, in the assumptions that we make. And these are the types of things that I wanted to explore. And I want to underline one thing, which, you know, my experience from the peanut gallery is each and every time we lean into presumption about who a person is, we absolutely are choosing to forfeit the gift of sight. Um, we're rejecting the opportunity to see the wonder that humanity truly is. I'll be the first to say as someone who identifies as Black, uh, for those who can't see me, hopefully that doesn't shock anyone uh, who can see me, but female um, with she, her, they, them pronouns, but also Christian and grew up in the Bible belt, right? No, no one chooses uh, to put themselves in harm's way. We are intricately and wonderfully made just as we are. And I think we could do a collective job of better exploring that. So then I pose kind of a four-part challenge, if you will, which is one, Act like you don't know when you approach a person because you don't. You don't know until you ask. Um, two would be to ask, 
right? Early and often, because one, you're chronically curious about people and two, you give uh, what I called in the blog, if I recall, an authentic damn. Uh, the third would be to lead with um, examples of your initiative to create safe spaces. So an example that I gave was, hi, I'm Madison. I use she, her, they, them pronouns and you. I'm not boxing anyone into a space there. Uh, and last but certainly not least, you know, make neutral verbiage choices best you can um, as your starting place. What is your relationship status? For example, do you have a significant other? Uh, tell me more, right? And so I then shared a story of a workplace example. I'm not gonna spoil it. You all are more than welcome to read the blog. But the moral of the story was in a world where most are, are more closeted than out, don't, and excuse my friends, y'all, uh, don't piss on flower beds. Accept the invitation and consider it um, a gift. And for those that are of the, you know, too long didn't read camp, the bottom line is, the, the other bottom line I'll say, is that the capacity to thrive is our birthright, right? The here and now is a gift and that's why it's absolutely called the present. And so we should take pride, uh, pun absolutely intended, in delving beneath the surface of surface level engagement. And even when you think you know, and you've gone down a particular line of questioning, uh, you still probably don't and, and should probably ask, you know, a second, third, fourth question uh, just to keep yourself and others honest about your commitment to exploring uh, one another as people. So that's kind of my my synopsis. And I'll, I'll pause there. Yes. So uh, we we do have a question. And this this is some questions I've had along uh, all along as I'm, I'm on my journey to doing uh, more work to being more inclusive and being intentional of supporting the LGBTQ plus community. But for those of us who are learning how to master pronouns and intersectionality, is there such a thing as a bad question? And, you know, even in thinking about what Carla just talked about from a healthcare perspective, um, you know, can, should, you know, as, as, as medical professionals are, are working with patients, should they ask, you know, about pronouns even? So that's kind of two questions in one, but I, I'd really like to hear your input on that. Yes. So my input in short, and, and again, this is my input, there, there's no such thing as a bad question. I choose to offer everyone the benefit of the doubt until I determine that you actually don't want the benefit of the doubt and you probably want to fight, right? And so that's that's how I, I take it. Um, and that's my approach. Now, in terms of asking about pronouns, I think it circles me back to why I wanted to call out uh, the responsibility that we can choose to offer up first, mm -hmm. right? And so for those that are kind of tap dancing across LinkedIn these days, you're seeing more people insert their pronouns in their name. That's a proactive step that we can take to say, this is a safe space for these types of conversations. And in introducing ourselves, say, this is how I identify, not expecting you to mirror my introduction, but taking that initial step. But on the other side too, I don't think it's inappropriate to ask and being honest to say, I'm still working through this. <laughs> I'm learning. This is a journey. But how do you identify? Right. And I think that's fair. Again, until someone proves you wrong, that they don't actually want the benefit of the doubt and, and the safe space and all the things. Thank you. And, and that, that helps me as well. And, you know, there's no harm in asking 
um, as long as we're coming from a place of sincerity. And of course, as long as we're focusing on respect for people. So thank you so much, Madison. So J Jeff, um, I'd like to hear, we'd like to hear from you next. As uh, I mentioned in your introduction, you've, um, you know, you're on your journey, um, learning more about lean and, and continuous improvement. And you've been involved with this entire root cause racism experience from day one when it was just an idea while I was on the walking track. And so uh, what I would, you know, I, I'd like for you to share is as you read the blogs, um, you know, where you saw maybe the application of lean as someone who was new on this journey. Sure, absolutely. And uh, once again, thank you so much for inviting me to be part of it yet again. Like you said, I've been part of the uh, project since its inception, and I'm thankful and grateful that you uh, invited me along this particular journey because this work is so incredibly important. Uh, but for me, uh, you've give, given a, a nice uh, introduction as to what I'll be talking about as opposed to a specific blog, because this particular time I did not write a blog. Uh, but as a new lean practitioner, and I think I've sort of been trying to inch my way into the lean space for about a year, I oftentimes compare it to what I've done for the vast majority of my career. For the vast majority of my career, I've been in the uh, learning and development space. So for a little over 20 years, I've been a corporate trainer. And it really makes me excited to know that a lot of the practices of lean, they align with so perfectly in parallel what we do in corporate and organizational training. And Paul gave a really good uh, overview, and I love the analogy of the two pillars of lean, one that it's continuous and the second one is the respect for people. And some of my greatest ahas came from those particular pillars. Uh, the fact that with lean processes, things are continuous. And I am of the belief that training and learning and development should be the exact same thing. Uh, good trainers really subscribe to the theory of training as a process instead of a lone singular event. So in training, there are things that we can do ever before, long before people log on to your virtual classroom or step foot into your instructor-led classroom. While we have them as a captive audience, yeah, we should be bending over backwards, turning cartwheels and backflips to keep them engaged and, and informed and dropping that knowledge and allowing them to practice skills. But mastery doesn't take place in the classroom. We have to continue beyond that. There's all sorts of post-training initiatives and efforts that need to be put into place. And I've also recently got into uh, the diversity and inclusion, diversity, equity and inclusion space. And I think that's where a lot of organizations go wrong when they bring on these type programs. We did a DE&I workshop. We've now improved all of our diversity, equity, inclusion efforts. No, you didn't. All you did was conducted a course. Those things need to be continuous. So that's a, one of those ahas that I get, again, getting happy as, a, as it relates to the alignment. And the other one with the respect of people, again, good trainers know that when we walk into the classroom of an adult audience, and I would venture to bet, I'm sure uh, Alex could back me up on this, when the same respect needs to be extended to children, uh, but I'm typically focused and, and, and responsible for training an adult audience. We have to respect them. There's a whole host of information out there as it relates to adult learning principles and, and showing that respect and tapping into their experience and getting them involved and protecting their self-esteem. Those are all tenets of what we do in my particular profession. So again, it's the parallels. And one of my bigger ahas that I got in addition to the continuous and the uh, respect for people 
Lean, when I first heard of it, probably about 12 or 13 years ago, I didn't know anything about it. I, I heard about it when I went into a manufacturing organization to conduct a workshop. And it seemed like this very foreign, strange concept. And since working with you and other people that I've been involved with on this project, like Mark, I am learning that it's not that complicated. Perhaps people might want to make it so. And don't get me wrong, the problems that we face and can apply lean processes to may be complex, but the act of doing the right thing and respecting people and asking, going to Gimbo, which is my favorite new term that I've learned in lean, it's not all that complex. Go out there and do the right thing. And I think a lot of that is going to segue into what we've been talking about with this particular blog series. I'll say one thing about a particular blog and then I'll wrap things up. Uh, earlier in the week, Jeff, I believe his last name was Rousseau. He published a blog about five, with the five things that we can do to make the world a better place. And again, go out and read the particular blog. But one really related to me in regard to how we could apply this as it relates to uh, some of the lean uh, uh, principles and just doing the right thing, realize that everybody is struggling. I read a quote one time, and I've got to look down at it real quick. It said, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. So when you see somebody who is being discriminated against or bias is being projected toward them, that's where we have to help out and assist that person and be that ally because they are really going through something. And on the flip side of it, if we were to maybe say something or go to the person that is uh, committing the infraction, I think we also need to think about their perspective too. I learned a long time ago that hurt people hurt people. Mm. So as we begin to discuss and bring about this dialogue between all parties involved, the victim and the person who is uh, uh, doing the, the egregious act, let's keep that in mind. Let's put ourselves in their shoes and realize that everybody is fighting a battle that we know nothing about. Let's talk it out. Let's create some awareness and simply do the right thing. So again, DeAndre, thank you so much for the opportunity to be involved. I'm learning a lot. And again, it's a pleasure and an honor. Well, you know, Jeff, don't don't go anywhere too fast. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, you're talking about the learning piece. And then, of course, with you being a, you know, a trainer extraordinaire, um, and that, since that's what you've done much of your career, do you recommend um, taking, you know, there's a number of, of courses that are, are offered now that we're in this virtual space, complimentary courses, even on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Is that something you would recommend that people would take to, as a way of becoming a better ally? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the more you know, the more you're informed, I think that prepares you to assist and to help and become that ally. But like I said a little bit earlier uh, in my spiel in regard to uh, continuous, it can't stop there. Mm -hmm. You log on and you take this particular course, or let's say once we get beyond the pandemic, there's an instructor-led training course. Not only do you have to take it, but you have to fully participate in it. You have to have an open mind, and there has to be support and action beyond that. So yes, training in and of itself, whether it's diversity and inclusion or any other course that uh, will help combat injustice and discrimination and bias, beautiful. But it can't just be that one and done. Let's take it back to lean. It has to be continuous and there has to, has to be some action beyond it in order to bring that holistically in full circle. That is, that is true.
And 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 there I add an amen to that, you know. Amen. Yes. So, you know, before we go into uh, some announcements and, and Q&A uh, for those who are watching the webinar, and if you have questions, please make sure you put them in, Q, in the Q&A section and, and we'll do our best to get to them. I've, I've been trying to help Mark keep an eye on the chat and there's so many great questions and comments that are coming through. This is a really rich discussion. Uh, but I want to take um, the next five minutes to talk about the parallels uh, or the bookends in this blog series. So to be honest, in curating this series, it was a little different um, because typically I will just email about 20 to 30 people and say, hey, here's the next topic. Would you like to write a blog? But um, I was very sensitive to not everyone has their pronouns. Um, and I, I didn't want to, you know, out anyone. And I was just very, very sensitive of the right thing to do and, and, and what not to do because I didn't want to hurt or cause harm. And so the, the main two points of the series are is about demonstrating respect for people um, and inclusion. So although we're focusing on Black members of the LGBTQ plus community, Scott did a brilliant blog about inclusion, period. Okay, and looking at bias. And then the other part is allyship. And uh, from there, there's Patrick Farrell. He is Carla's colleague, also from the UK, um, really put um, a really powerful blog out there about allyship. And so what I want to talk about just among the panel for the next um, few minutes is those, those two points, inclusion and allyship. And there can be some uncomfort when we talk about that inclusion because, you know, people may have asked, why are we only looking at Black LGBTQ plus? Well, because we are. It's Black History Month in the U.S. It's LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus History Month in the U.K. And those are the, the groups that have experienced the most marginalization, um, unfair treatment, and the list goes on and on. And then allyship, you know, starting with that awareness and, be, and seeing where we are in our privilege and being honest to that. So, um, you know, I just kind of want to open it up. Does anyone have anything else that they would like to add on that topic of inclusion and allyship and the importance of it? Looks like Scott's coming off mute. If you can unmute, yeah. Well, I kind of wanted to talk for a minute about inclusion because as I wrote about my biases, I realized um, that, you know, I'm also... 53 years old. And so why that's relevant is because we're in this whole, um, I guess, identification of what pronouns we use. And one of the things that I do, I work with Emory School of Medicine on projects and they're training medical school students to walk into the room. A lot of them wear buttons that identify the pronouns that they use on their lab coats and they walk into the room and they introduce themselves using their pronouns. Well, again, I'm 53. So this is new to me. And it's kind of like, I don't know how to receive that as well as my next door neighbor is trans. So, um, and I kind of, I find myself struggling with the pronouns. Like I want to call him, her, but he identifies as he. So, you know, the inclusive thing is work for everyone. Even if you're a member of this community, it's still difficult because there are other things that I am dealing with, like my age and my, you know, all kinds of my just experience that I have been trained, for lack of a better word, 
to use when I see something, if it, you know, that's to my site tells me what it is to identify. And to Madison's point, it's not always the case. You know, it's, I need to, to ask the questions and, and not just think because it looks like a duck, it's a duck. It may be a swan or a goose, who knows? So, um, yeah, I just wanted to offer that. <laughs> okay. Thank you for offering that. And then, Paul, if if I can call on you, because I know that we've had some very extensive conversations on what does it mean to be an ally? You know, what what is something that you would like for the, the listeners to take away? Yeah. So, you know, and having read everybody's blog posts and, and heard what we've talked about today, you know, and again, I we all come at it from our own perspectives, you know, like I wrote in my blog post, um, you know, we all have experiences. Like Scott just mentioned, he's 53, right? I'm 45, right? And and so there is some aspect of, you know, we've we've experienced life a certain way for a long, long time. And it might take us a little time to switch over. I mean, not for nothing. I literally live in a town that is 10 to one people to cows, right? And that's pretty unique because we have the largest dairy farm in Connecticut. But so if I start telling a story about that to, you know, one of you folks that lives in Atlanta or Alex who lives in Queens, they're like, what? Like I saw a cow once, like, it's, you know, and it's a funny example, but we, you know, when you talk about being an ally, um, like Madison mentioned, you can't just look at somebody and just assume, you know, even me, I'll pick on myself. You can't look at me like, all right, white guy, uh, straight drives a pickup truck. Cause I do, I have a lifted Jeep cause I do. Right. You can't just assume that, all right, I'm checking all these boxes. Now that's probably going to mean this because it doesn't necessarily, it's, mm-hmm. it's true for all of us. And I'll come back to, I guess what I said before, which is, you know, if we have a relationship and it does take work, yeah. you know, but if we have a relationship that's based on trust and respect, then we can have those conversations you know, like, and Madison had said, well, you know what, just, just ask, just ask the question, you know, and sometimes it's that easy. And if you have that relationship, you could say, Hey, Madison, you know, I was thinking this, is that okay or not? Okay. You know, and you could ask that question. I mean, I wouldn't walk up to you on the street, Madison, if I didn't know you and maybe open with that, but right. If you have that relationship, then you can have those. And that's what you get when you start with the respect for people piece and the engagement piece, because now we have that open relationship where I can say, Hey, right. I, I was curious about this, you know, and, and you know where I'm coming from. So you know what I'm delivering it as versus, a, you know, trying to figure, you know, I'm not trying to pigeonhole anybody. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out where do I come to you where you are so I can make you feel as comfortable and as psychologically safe as I can, mm-hmm. so we can have the best relationship that we can. Just like Madison said in her blog, and like we say in the, the world of continuous improvement, especially those who are Toyota Kata practitioners, don't be so certain. Okay, so uh, we'll, we'll turn it over now to Mark Graven. He has some announcement for, announcements for us, and then we'll get into some Q&A from the webinar participants. Yeah. Sure thing. So let me pull this up real quick. Just a couple announcements. So I want to tell you about a couple of upcoming webinars that will be um, also sponsored by Kinexus. And first off, I I do want to thank the leadership team at Kinexus for not just letting us use the Zoom account today, but more importantly, really supporting 
um, the efforts here and, and sharing it and promoting it with our customers and with our community. And so I do want to recognize them for that. There's never been a, hes a moment's hesitation when we've asked to help. The answer has been yes. Um, for Kinex's customers who are watching today, the next training team office hours is going to be on March 4th. I think I need to update the graphic. It's not um, Adam and Matt all the time, but you will have people from Kinexus providing um, updates uh, March 4th, one o'clock Eastern. And then we have our ongoing webinar series that is uh, typically a presentation. We're still planning on doing those monthly. You'll recognize, you'll see Deandra there. She is gonna be joining us in March to do a presentation called Kata in the Community. You can register for that um, right after this session by going to kinexus.com slash webinars. We'll have a presentation in April from uh, one of our customers, Woodfin. And then in May, uh, Wendy, who is uh, from the wonderful company, another Kinexus customer, you might know them from uh, the palm, pomegranate juice and the wonderful pistachios and all kinds of things that they uh, that they sell. Wendy is going to be giving a presentation um, as Bob and Evan will on their continuous improvement journeys at their organizations. So I hope you will look forward to that. The session today is of course being recorded and it will be available in our continuous improvement webinars on demand library. You can find the first webinars in the root cause racism series there. You can find all sorts of other presentations and things that we've, um, uh, that we've shared. You can also find those in our YouTube channel. Uh, we invite you also to check out our blog at blog.kinexus.com. And then the audio from today's session so Madison, so you're saying if people can't see you, somebody listening to the uh, podcast might um, not known, um, but the, uh, the audio will be available. We encourage people to subscribe to the Kinexus podcast. You can find it, um, Apple Podcasts, basically anywhere you find podcasts. So that is it for the announcements. Thank you for those announcements, Mark. And, and for those who uh, may be new to the hashtag root cause racism movement, um, all of the blogs, um, first two blog series, as well as the current one and previous webinar recordings and this webinar recording will be on that website. And so that is rootcauseracism.com. Okay. So Mark, I'll turn it yes. over to you for the Q&A. What do we have in the... Okay. All right. So we had a, a question from Sam. Um, would love to hear the panelists' thoughts on the idea of being colorblind. Is this something we should be striving for as a culture and in our world? Um, Madison, I know you had thoughts on this. If I invite you to go first, please. So the short answer from my side is we should not strive for colorblindness. That's my take. Here's why. When we talk about um, connecting the dots or building a bridge between uh, what it means to be an ally and what it means to be inclusive, we have to see color because without seeing it, you cannot stand up and advocate and or gift your privilege to someone if you can't see what, the, what, they're, what they're doing or who they are. Um, and this is, this is no disrespect, but I wanna make sure I say this too. Colorblindness, I would liken to anyone who was parading around the streets this time last summer saying all lives matter. It's, it's saying that you are not acknowledging that certain lives right now are uniquely at risk. Um, that would be my take. It does not mean we don't care about everyone. It doesn't mean we don't love everyone. It doesn't mean that 
we all aren't important. But the state of things right now uh, means that this month is incredibly important to spotlight the Black experience, the LGBTQIA plus experience, and all the in-between. Um, and that's that's kind of my take, uh, but open, of course, to, to other opinions. Jeff, you are you? Sure, I, yes. I'll go with another mm -hmm. one if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. uh, I got into a little bit of a dialogue yesterday on LinkedIn uh, because one person who had read one of the blogs kind of suggested the same thing. And I think at the end of the day, after us going back and forth a couple times, we both kind of made some progress into we're trying to get to the same solution, but we just have two different perspectives on it. So like Madison, my perspective is this. I... I don't want anyone to see me as some blank slate of colorblindness. I want you to recognize all dimensions of, of me, which in this particular case is Black, it's same gender loving, it's Southern, and any other moniker that I might put on me that makes me this whole person. Because I think the more you know about these dimensions and these facets of who I am, the better an ally you can be to me, the better friend you can be to me, the better coach you can be to me. So. While I want you to recognize these dimensions, what I don't want you to do is to treat me differently because of these dimensions, whether that be differences as it relates to a positive or an advantage, or definitely I don't want you to put me at a disadvantage because of these particular things. But yeah, I think when we go into conversations or circumstances with these blinders on of saying, I don't see color or I don't see this, at, at its basic premise and level, I kind of get it, but I just don't think we're honoring the whole person when we exclude these things that make us who we are. And that's my take on the colorblindness aspect of things. And, and if I can add one thing, um, and I would point everyone back to Patrick Farrell's blog that posted yesterday at 12 noon Eastern time on the website. Uh, the title of that blog is when all you have ever known is privilege. And, um, and he had points that he made. He was straight to the point, um, very thoughtful. And, and he was coming from the standpoint, um, you know, of a white man. And, um, so that question, I felt like he did a brilliant job of responding to it. And then just to piggyback on what Madison and Jeff said, um, I want you to see me. You know, one of, one of my friends used this analogy about uh, Michelle Penix, who's also participated in previous blog series about it. She doesn't want to hear about this melting pot. Think about a tossed salad. You know, everything in that tossed salad, the 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 croutons, the tomatoes, the lettuce, they all have their uniqueness and all come together, still keeping, you know, their autonomy and, and representing what they mean, but make that salad beautiful and enjoyable. And so I want you to see me. I want you to see me, you know, my big things are I'm black, I'm woman, a woman, and I'm full figured. And don't act like you don't see any of that because all of those things create different things for me in spaces that I go in of either I feel like I'm included or I feel like I'm excluded. And so I want you to see color. I want you to see people uniquely for who they are. But when you see it, I want you to respect that uniqueness. Okay. I'm off my soapbox. Okay. Next question, All right. Mark. <laughs> All right. So there's another question uh, from D. What's the best way to have a real conversation with someone who doesn't see or realize their privilege 
or insists on downplaying their privilege to avoid uncomfortable conversations and situations. Hmm. I would like to take that one. I'll give it a shot. Okay, go ahead, Paul. All right. So it's a it's an interesting and difficult question to be honest. I mean, this is uh, you know friends of mine who are Caucasian, right? We have we have these kinds of discussions. Um, you know, I think, and this is just me thinking out loud a little. I think what happens sometimes is people take it as an affront, maybe. Um, and this might be a bad analogy, so forgive me, but it's like, you know, during the holiday season, when people say happy holidays versus Merry Christmas, and certain people get bent out of shape because you didn't say Merry Christmas. And it's like, it's, it's, I don't, you know, I think, you know, you, you have to understand that not everybody, right? Not everybody celebrates Christmas. So mm-hmm. saying happy holidays doesn't downplay or degrade the Merry Christmas side. They're just trying to be more inclusive. So just take it for what it's worth. So, you know, when I have some friends that, you know, have an issue with, you know, like the term white privilege or white male privilege, um, the way I've handled it. And again, I have to go back to, I have a relationship already with these folks. Um, so they kind of, Mm -hmm. they know me, they trust me. So I can come to them and say, listen, I'm not throwing this in your face. And it doesn't mean that I'm blaming you for anything. It just means that you have to understand that you and I, as another white guy, we don't deal with some stuff that some other folks do. And to, and I'll get on my soapbox, Deandra, forgive me. Get to on me, I mean, and I can't quote what's on the base of the Statue of Liberty, but it's something like, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe and live free or something, right? Like to me, that's what this country is all about. We are a toss salad. We have a lot of different cultures. That's what makes us so awesome. And I, I love, you know, I'm a patriot. I love this country, but that's what makes it so much fun. The fact that we are all different. And I, I appreciate the fact that we have these discussions because it means that we're thinking about those things and we're, and we recognize those things. And I'll mimic what Madison and Jeff said. I don't like colorblindness either because that doesn't, that's to, to water it all down and to kind of ignore things that do make us unique, you know? So I'd much rather just be more inclusive. So I'll get back to the, you know, if somebody's there and they don't want to talk about their privilege or whatever, you know, sometimes it's hard for people because they say, well, I, you know, I get up at, you know, I get up at 4am every day and I go do this and I go do that, you know? And like I mentioned, I mean, I live in a farming community and a lot of these folks do get up that early, you know, so that's not to say, well, I'm not downplaying the fact that you're a hard worker and I'm not saying you haven't overcome things in your life, but I'm just saying that just understand the things you've had to overcome are a lot different than some things that other people haven't overcome. And, and again, I think when, you know, if we're going to talk trust and respect and love, I think that's the way we have to approach it. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to care for each other. That's what, that's what we're here for. That's where respect for people is. Absolutely. All right. Rant over. No, no. I I I think you, think you did a a great job with that. Mark, how are we on time for questions? Um, And for the panelists, I don't know if you have a hard stop at the bottom of the hour. Um, I just wanted to kind of take a gauge before we go on. Is everyone good to stay on a little over? Perfect. Okay. A little bit. Okay. Um, 
So maybe one question, and there are a lot of good questions and we can be creative afterwards and maybe taking some of these questions and turning them into recorded podcast segments or additional blog posts, or we can figure out, because I, I know the panelists will want to weigh in on um, these different questions. So let me just maybe for now choose um, one more. There were a couple specific questions. There was a question for you, Jeff. Um, what impact does training have on diffusing systemic racism? Can you think of examples from the classroom or more broadly? Sure. Um, if I were to look at training, training is about, or the way I define training anyway, training is about giving people skill and knowledge to improve performance on their current job. So if people don't have that skill and knowledge to do what's expected of them, then that's where they're going to flounder and not do, again, what's up to expectation or standard operating procedure. And I think a lot of what we're talking about in the space of uh, diversity, equity and inclusion, reducing bias and discrimination, while they may not necessarily be diehard skill based things, a lot of what people do on their job either can promote the bias and discrimination or it can negate it. So, for example, in training, let's say we're doing a leadership class and we are teaching new managers and supervisors how to go into an interview uh, to ask behavioral-based questions to get the best candidate for a job. In that training class, not only should we be teaching them about behavioral-based interviewing, but we also should be teaching them about getting rid of and ex and and and, and eliminating bias-based questions and eliminating bias-based thinking because it's one thing to interview a candidate based upon those behavioral-based questions and how they feel, what they dem demonstrate or say that they did on a project five years ago, which would, would sort of be indicative of their behavior before. But if that meant, not before, but indicative of their behavior in their future job that they're uh, interviewing for, but if that manager has biases of affinity bias, or it's a long list of these biases that I can't necessarily articulate. But if we've got, a, I guess the bottom line of what I'm trying to say is, if we have a candidate who looks great on paper, answers all the questions appropriately, and probably would be a good fit for a job, if that manager can't eliminate that bias, they're not going to go with that person. And now we're back to square one of hiring people not based upon skill, but on, on biases and the cultural fit. So I'll wrap it up by saying I think training does uh, or can has the potential of providing a lot of positive impact as it relates to uh, eliminating or minimizing the discrimination and the bias that does indeed exist in corporate America or corporate England or Canada or wherever we are uh, where there's uh, corporate operations. So that's sort of my take on that and how what I do for a living can really be uh, a positive and a benefit. Great. Thank you, Jeff. Okay. So with that, we will, again, we'll figure out how to address some of the other excellent questions. But DeAndre, let me turn it back to you uh, to go through calls to action and key takeaways sure. with everybody. Sure. Thank you, Mark. And um, and thank you, panelists, for responding to those questions. And, um, you know, to, as a 
continuation of what Jeff was talking about with those behaviors. And, you know, yes, we want people to read the blogs. We want to ask these questions, but now it goes to putting it in practice. And the way you you change or develop behavior, the way you improve upon a culture is the actions that you do on a daily basis. And as a part of this whole root cause racism movement, we know that dismantling the isms, structural racism and bias and discrimination toward LGBTQ plus community and the list goes on. This is a big, huge lift, but it starts with doing one small thing at a time, taking on one action that's something you can do. Um, so um, I'll start with, we'll go in the same order in terms of you know the discussion we had. Paul, what would be a takeaway um, um, a call to action that you would want people to have as a result of your blog? Sure. Uh, I'll say that, you know, I taught, I probably said it five times, you know, we have to base all of these things of, on a relationship based upon trust and respect and how you do it. DeAndre, you mentioned it's every day. It's continuous. That's the continuous and continuous improvement. So one thing that you could do is if you're not already in, in lean terms, we call it leader standard work, right? But if you go to the Gemba, just go see people and talk to them and ask questions, get to know people and start building that relationship. So then we can have discussions like we all had here today. Mm-hmm. And then you, right, then you can help. As Jeff said, then if you get to know me, I bet you we probably have quite a few things in common. And then we can mm-hmm. talk about those things. They will build that relationship and then, right. And then they can blossom and explore. So do start doing that. Make it a point to, you know, reach out, take a chance and, and get to know somebody. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm going to jump around a little bit uh, because Jeff, I believe you have a hard stop. Jeff, I'm going to let you go next. And then after Jeff, it'll be Alex. Okay. I appreciate that. Uh, One of the key takeaways, and again, I did not write a blog, but what I took away from several blogs that were written, one in particular, Jeff Russo, was don't overcomplicate things. And again, this goes back to what I get from some of the key tenets and the principles of lean. While the challenges that we face in whatever arena, but in this particular arena, allyship, reducing discrimination and bias, while they may be complex, the solutions don't necessarily have to be. I'm going to quote uh, the U.S. federal government, particularly back after, shortly after 9-11 and the uh, the formation of the Transportation Safety Administration. Uh, there were all sorts of billboards around uh particularly in airports and other places, if you see something, say something. And I'm going to apply that to this as it relates to being a better ally. If you have that privilege, and even if you don't have privilege, I think that makes it even more important that you speak up because if if, if they're doing it to them, there's, there, there will soon be a day that it, it gets done to you. So if you see something, say something, case in point, sometimes you have to call people out even if they're members of their own family. Uh, I am out and proud as the same gender loving man to my family, but I had a relative one time who was telling a story of something was going on with another gay person. And in that story, looked at me and said, well, you know, no disrespect, but you know, he got a little sugar in his tank. I'm like, you can't say that. That is inappropriate. That is derogatory. You've not only offended that person who's not here to defend themselves, but you've also offended me. Now, I always try to go into these uh, situations. Scott, who knows me very well, might disagree with that because he's seen he's seen me uh, in my younger years where I might not has not have been as polished 
but I try to go in situations with tact and diplomacy. But if you see something, say something. That's as simple as it gets. Do the right thing. Yes. Thank you, Jeff. Alex? Yes, thank you. Apologies to everyone about what happened. Not sure, but I wanted to acknowledge the space because that is something that I do and that is something that I hold my children to, whether they do something accidentally or intentionally, we should all acknowledge what has happened. Um, what I will add to the conversation is um, acknowledgement is one thing, affirmation is another. Uh, don't just invite people to the space for the sake of inviting them, hear them, affirm them, and wrestle with it. It is totally uncomfortable. This work is messy. It can be difficult, but it is not impossible. Um, and one, one more thing, right? This is a, this is a marathon, not a sprint, right? That doesn't mean work slow. That means we just continue to work and work mm -hmm. with consistency and a sense of urgency. And I will leave you with this, that any practice, any belief that causes harm to another person or a group is wrong. Mm -hmm. that's a full stop there. So if we're trying to respect other people's beliefs, sure. We're trying to, we're trying to respect other people's perspectives, fine. But if that perspective causes harm to others, that is not a perspective worth keeping. Excellent point, Alex. And, um, and, and just to affirm you, the glitch was not on you. We all got knocked out. So we, you're fine. Yes. Um, and then the other thing too, that we talk about, and this is mentioned all the time in healthcare, do no harm. And, and I think that can be applied in a number of different um, categories um, and fields and what have you. And so with that, Carla, as um, our, our resident healthcare person, aside from Mark, um, what, what do you have to add as a takeaway? And you're on mute. So if you can unmute, yes. Of course I am. <laughs> Someone had to do it, so Someone why not? Had to, yes. <laughs> um, so for me, um, the NHS, so the National Health Service in England, has seven values, and two of those values are respect and dignity and compassion. And so for me, if we are going to evolve our health services, we need to involve the people that are going to be using our services. And I've been party to many services that have tried to transform in an office with the same people who come from the same groups who have the same issues. Let's take our services to the people who need them and then evolve our services. Let's look at how we best serve that community, whichever community it is we're looking at in order to make sure that we can access, you know, those people can access them because we know it's a fantastic service. We know the people in the service want to do the best for the for patients, but we're not creating them in the, in the, in the way in which it's the most inclusive to serve their needs. Thank you, Carla. Thank Madison? You. Yes, hi. So my thing would be, um, particularly when it comes to identity, it's it's fluid. So when we master, and we've talked about a few things, one being, you know, this is a marathon, uh, two being, even if you are a member of an underrepresented group, we still also have work to meet people where they are. Uh, but we have not climbed Mount Rushmore just because we got somebody's pronouns right today, because those could change tomorrow. And that's okay. And in the same way, you know, for, for those listening who have been married and, and divorced, let's say, the minute folks take off that ring and change their name, we're able to quickly fall in line to the new adjustment to their identity. I think it's no different when you're talking about how people identify. And I do believe it's possible to get there. We just have to accept that it's fluid. And if we first accept that, the rest gets real easy because we're just flowing as people flow. Great analogy and, and great points. Thank you so much, Madison. 
Scott? I would challenge people to just sit in their feelings and think about why they feel any kind of way about anything. One of the things that um, Deandra and I spoke about when she asked me to um, write my blog was I shared with her an experience I had around HIV. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that people can empathize with someone who has smoked two packs of cigarettes for 20 years and they find out that they have cancer. Well, then it becomes, oh, well, I'm so sorry. And just they're an outpouring of empathy. But the same empathy does not transfer to an HIV positive person because of the stigma. Mm -hmm. And we all have sex. So and they just made a decision who, who knows, like maybe in the moment, like I personally know someone the first time that they had sex contracted HIV. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that there's just to sit in your feelings and to think about why you feel the way that you feel about anything. And I would challenge you to think differently and change your feelings in the moment. Sometimes, as I mentioned in my blog, when I am faced with a situation that feels similar to something that I've experienced previously, I try to just stop and not respond at all until I have figured out what is going on, until I have all of the information and I can make a better informed decision how to respond. And, and you know, Scott, you know, the, the thing that you just said touches on the whole theme of this work is that um, there, there's still a lot for us to learn. There's a lot for us to discover on this journey. And it's, it's continuous. So those who work in the continuous improvement community, you see, you know, a symbol, it looks like a circle. And at the end, there's an arrow. It's not a period. It's not an exclamation mark. It's continuous. And there's work for us to do on both sides. Um, you know, like I said, the, this series has, has helped me recognize different bias that I have and helped me to see privilege that I have and um, using that privilege to help others. And so it's, it's um, sometimes we need to, like you said, just sit in our feelings, recognize where we are, figure it out what, what, what it is we need to learn before we take that next step and, and not be so certain. So um, in, in closing, I, you know, my call to action for everyone is um, I want everyone to get more involved with the uh, root cause racism movement. Um, I'm in the process right now of working with a team to update the website because we want more community involvement. These blog series are great periodically, but oftentimes people send me articles or they send me information about webinars. And I want to be able to share that so that we can all continue to learn and grow and develop and improve. And then not only that, um, Mark and I constantly receive emails from people who have said, hey, as a result of reading this blog or as a result of attending this webinar, I've decided to apply this in my work, or I've decided to do this in my classroom or, or do this with my company. And, and that's the, some of the best practice sharing that can, can happen is these things that people are learning and applying, um, we want to make that available so that we can all continue to benefit from that. So I just ask if you have not done so already, to subscribe to rootcauseracism.com and and get involved and just be a part of this movement of making this world a better place, using continuous improvement, demonstrating respect for people, 
one small step at a time. And, you know, another thing um, in terms of a small action, this is something that I did. Um, two small things. I opened my blog with scripture, not to be preachy, but as um, a person of faith, I wanted to show, you know, here I'm using my privilege to talk about a topic that people usually try to use scripture to hurt people. And that, and that ain't right. Okay. And I know that's not improper English, but it ain't right. So the second thing is, um, you know, I realize some people are not comfortable sharing their pronouns or how it is that they identify because they, you know, don't want to deal with um, some of the unkindness they may experience. But I want people to know that on my LinkedIn timeline, it's a safe space. And so I've added my pronoun. Um, and so that's what that means. And so if, if you, you know, want to show people that, hey, you are an ally and you're here to support the LGBTQ plus community, that's something small you can start out with. Um, so with that, I, I just, you know, for all of the blog participants, those who are not present and those of you who are here, um, I just I just so appreciate all the sacrifices you've made, the work you put in. The time you put in, this is one of the most special series that's nearest and dearest to my heart. And I'm, I'm, I'm just already excited about the positive things that will happen as a result of you sharing your voices, sharing your experiences, writing blogs, being here, and everything that you're doing every day to make this world a better place. So from the bottom of my heart, mm -hmm. thank you. Yeah. Okay. DeAndra, thank you for your leadership in organizing um, this series again. Okay. Want to thank everybody for being uh, in attendance, and I want to thank our panelists, Paul, Scott, Jeff, Alexis, Carla, and Madison. Thank you all so much for helping us. Uh, thank you for helping us um, learn and and think and and reflect. And I think all of the sharing here hopefully moves everybody one step further in our attempts to continuously improve ourselves and improve our workplaces. And beyond that, even improving our societies. So thank you for having this conversation today.